First John says, you have no need that anyone teach you because you all have the anointing within you as believers and you have the capital T teacher inside of you. And so there's really no need anymore for a man, the preacher, to go up on the mountain like Moses did and hear the word of the Lord and then come back down in the valley and share what the Lord said. There's really no need for that anymore because we are now one in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit as our teacher leads us into all reality, yes? So y'all aren't sitting here listening to me talk because you need me to go listen for you and, and regurgitate what the Lord says. That's no longer how it works. All I'm doing, hopefully, as a, a teacher of the truth is I'm co-laboring with what the Holy Spirit is already saying in season to your hearts. And so that's why we're called an equipping ministry is I want to come alongside you and I want to help equip you as a pastor here, as a, as a, as a prophetic voice in this generation to do the good works that the Lord, has, the Lord already has put inside of you to do. But hopefully what I'm doing is just echoing in your ear what the Holy Spirit is saying in this season. And so that's why we just pray for a word in season, how fitting it is. We need to hear a word from heaven today. We don't need just more information. We really just need to hear a fresh word from heaven. So Lord willing, that's what I'm going to say today. It's going to be stuff that you already know, but maybe just a good reminder and a little bit of a, an alignment for us all as we go pursue Jesus this next week. Happy Mother's Day. Yes, mothers are so great, less important than Jesus. Yes, mothers are great. Fathers are great. Family is great. Less important than Jesus. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus was teaching along and this woman just couldn't contain herself. And she just shouted out and she says, blessed is the mother who gave you birth. Blessed is the mother who nursed you. And in verse 28 of Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, no, no. Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God, and obey it. And what Jesus did there was he sidestepped a noble but a fleshly response from this woman who was seeing him according to the flesh. And she had envy for Mary's position in society and for Mary's position for all time as the mother of Jesus. Was Mary blessed? Absolutely she was blessed. She said herself, from now on, all nations, all peoples will call me blessed. But this woman saw Mary's blessing in the flesh and she coveted it and she wanted it for herself. And she said, oh, it must be such a blessing to be Mary. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The blessing is not in being Mary. The blessing is hearing the word of the Lord and obeying the word of the Lord. And so Jesus on a regular basis was adjusting people's sight of him. He was adjusting their expectations of him. And he was adjusting even their understanding of what was important in life and society at the time. Jesus is above all, yes, but how do you see him? How do you see him is the question that I just want to throw out to you today. Jesus is over everything, but how are you seeing him? With what eyes are you seeing him? Maybe I should say. In Psalms chapter 110, Jesus is described this way, no longer as a little baby, meek and mild in the manger, but David writing 
by the Holy Spirit or speaking through the Holy Spirit, Matthew chapter 22 says, quotes Psalms 110. David, through the Holy Spirit, before Christ ever born, he says, the Lord, the Father, says to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend Jesus's, your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops, it's you and me, will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your youth or your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Listen to Jesus here. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook like a lion along the way, and so he will lift his head high. There's Jesus. That's who we worship. That's who's coming back. That's what the world has to look forward to. It's a dreadful day, the day of the Lord. That's him. That's looking at him one way. Here's another way to look at Jesus. Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six, starting in verse one. Jesus left there and he went back to his hometown. He'd been out doing ministry work. He comes back to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What is this wisdom that has been given to him? We're truly amazed by him. What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, his natural relatives, and in his own home. And then this fascinating sentence in verse five, and he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith in him. They had no faith in him. We always have to finish that sentence. I'm struggling with faith, period. But it's not, period. It's I'm struggling with faith in God, that he'll do what he said he would do. He was amazed at their lack of faith in him, it's presumed. They did not believe in him because they saw him with natural sight. They did not see him with spiritual sight. Natural in the natural, spiritual by faith. How you look at Jesus determines everything. Where Jesus is seen and known according to the flesh, according to human wisdom and natural understanding, he is without honor. And he cannot move or he has chosen to restrict his outpouring of love and healing and his restoration work 
due to our lack of faith in him. I'm going to say that again. Where Jesus is seen and known according to the flesh, he is without honor and he cannot move due to our lack of faith in him. This is a big deal because Jesus, and I shared this with our house church a little bit this last week, Jesus placed very little importance on family blood relationships throughout the New Testament. He he was always sidestepping that. And he was always getting people back to himself. So in Mark chapter three, you remember his family, his mother and his brothers. Jesus had four brothers, James being the oldest, Jude was the baby of the family and he had at least two sisters. So there were at least seven kids in Jesus's family. Joseph probably died when Jesus was young. But Mary and Jesus' brothers come to him because in Mark chapter three, they thought he was out of his mind. Mary, who all the promises have been given to, she said he's beside himself. And so he's teaching in this room where people are packed in and all of his family comes to him to help him out of his insanity. And then the people say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside. And Jesus has this classic response and he says, who are my brothers? Who's my mother? Who are my sisters? And then he says, whoever does the will of God. Or like he told that woman in Luke 11, whoever hears the word of the Lord and obeys it, that's who's blessed. Not who's ever related to me biologically as a half brother or half sister in my family. Whoever's blessed is a part of the family of God in a spiritual relationship, not necessarily biological. So John chapter seven, you remember that? Jesus was thinking about going up to the festival and his brothers said, look, if you want to be a public figure, go present yourself. Because if you want to get famous, this is the way you do it. And it says in verse five, for even his brothers did not believe in him. And Jesus goes on to say, for you, any time is right for you who are living in unbelief. But for me, my time is only right when the father's doing it. I'm not going up right now. You go. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. And you remember in John 19, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks down to see those at the bottom of the cross and who's there? His mom and John the beloved and a few other women. And he says, mother, your son. Son, your mother. Where were his brothers? They were nowhere to be found. They thought he was out of his mind. Jesus' own flesh and blood, they lived with him for 33 years. And in his hometown, there was a lack of belief in him because we saw him grow up. With our natural eyes, we saw him. As a toddler, as a teenager, we saw him with our natural eyes and so we do not recognize him spiritually. This is a big deal, guys. It's a big deal. We can get close to Jesus and know a lot about him in the natural, but that doesn't make any difference unless you know him spiritually. But then something happened. James chapter one. This is James the just who wrote this. This is not James, Jesus' disciple, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, but this is James, Jesus' half-brother who wrote the book of James. The next oldest in line to Jesus, the second oldest son, the first oldest biological son, full son of Joseph and Mary, but Jesus' half-brother, the second in line. James the just, 
known because of his self-denial, his constant fasting and prayers. Church historians say his, his, his knees look like camel's knees because of how much he prayed. James starts in verse one. James, a servant of God and of my half-brother? James, a servant of God, a bondservant of God. The word in the Greek is a slave, one who gives himself up to another's will. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man who, according to John, did not believe in him, according to Mark 3, thought he was out of his mind. This man, the second oldest brother of Jesus, says, I'm his slave. I've given my will up to the will of the Lord, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He knew him according to the flesh for 33 years, but now after Jesus has died, he says, he's the Lord. What happened to James, the brother of Jesus Christ? Well, it's the same thing that happened to Jude. Right before Revelation, Jude, whose real name is Judas, but we didn't want to get that confused, so he goes by Jude. He's the baby brother of Jesus. He, he was not a disciple of Jesus in terms of the 12, but he was the baby brother. And he writes in verse one of chapter zero in Jude, Jude, a slave, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. See, neither James nor Jude were going to try to assume that they had any honor in being a biological half-brother to Jesus. Rather, they saw him for who he was, and they said, I'm his slave, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm a brother of James, Jude said. He's my big brother. But Jesus is way, 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 way more than my big brother. He is the Lord. What happened? Something happened to these two guys who thought he was out of his mind. And what happened is found in 1 Corinthians 15. I saw this just this last week. Never seen it before. Fascinating to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says in verse 3, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scripture in verse five, and then he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the 12. And after that, in resurrected form, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Verse seven, then he appeared to his brother James. What happened to James between not believing, thinking he's a crazy man, and mocking him to go up to the festival if you want to be a public figure, to James 1.1, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw him in a spiritual way, with eyes of faith, no longer knowing him according to the flesh. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him that way no longer. That's super important, not only with what we do with Jesus to know him according to the spirit, but what we do with each other and how we recognize each other no longer according to the flesh 
and according to our irritations and frustrations with my brothers, sisters in church, bad attitude or their character problems, I know them according to who they are in Christ, finished, and I can speak to them in such a way. And it changes everything. Jesus started a new spiritual relationship with James in that moment. He had a half-brother relationship with James and Jude up to that point, but then they saw him resurrected and there was a new relationship. They were born again. They saw Jesus with new eyes and they saw in the spirit that Jesus, Jesus is over all. He's over everything because he's worth everything eternally. Jesus is worth it all. He's better than our biological family. That's why I say he's better than our mothers who we love so much. Jesus is worth more. He's better. And so that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, if you love father or mother or son or daughter, brother or sister more than me, you're not worthy of me. You don't understand that. Actually loving me, Jesus says, makes you love them better. Because if you love me first and foremost, then you can obey all the other commandments. But the first one has to come first. He demands loyalty over everyone and everything. Even what, who is most, the, the most near and dear to our heart, our children, our, our most intimate relationships with our spouses. He says, you got to love me more than that. You're not designed to love anything co-equally with me. See, idolatry starts, the root of idolatry is in the good over the best. It's always how it starts. I love my kids so much, I cannot deny them in any way, shape, or form. I love them so much. Actually, they're on the same par with Jesus, we say sometimes. Or I, I am dedicated to hard work, to where we worship that sometimes. Or I'm dedicated to my country, a good thing. And that supersedes what the scriptures say. And so we, we put these good things on par with Jesus. And he says, that's idolatry. You can't do it. The good always comes against the best. So Jesus says, I want, I, I want you to care for your biological family. It's very pleasing in the sight of God to do that. And actually, if you don't care for your biological family, you're worse than a heathen, Paul says in Timothy. But he says, no, no, you have to love me first and foremost because my blood that saves you eternally trumps your family blood that binds you together temporarily. Jesus' blood makes us family. Biological blood makes us related. And as I said about Andy earlier, how sweet it is when you can be both biological and spiritual family, but it doesn't always work out that way. So I'll finish with this. Acts chapter one. Jesus asked the question, who are my brothers? Who is my mother? Who are my sisters? And Acts chapter 1 answers that for us, and it gives us a little bit of a litmus test to know where we land in the family of God. In Acts 1.13, that's starting in verse 12, and the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, where Jesus was lifted up into heaven, the Sabbath day walk from the city. Verse 13, when they arrived, they did what Jesus told them to do. They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present 
were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All the disciples were there. Included in the group in the upper room, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers who now believed in him, who now were joined together in Jesus' true family, the family of God. Mary included in that, don't forget. So the litmus test for being in the family of God I see is three things according to Acts chapter one. True brothers and sisters in the faith are dedicated to three things. First of all, they're dedicated to Jesus, but how it plays out in their life is three different things. Number one, they're obedient. Jesus says, I want you to go tarry in Jerusalem until power comes down from heaven until you're clothed with power from on high. So what do they do? They obey. They go back to the upper room and they start to pray constantly in prayer. It says they join together. So number one, you just do what Jesus told you to do. Number two, there's radical togetherness. These people for seven weeks are just up there, 120 in this little tiny room, praying, praying, praying every single day. That's where the church of Acts was birthed out of, was that upper room with 120 of them. What were they doing? They were constantly together. So in the true family of God, you wanna be around the family of God. There's something genuinely in, in your heart where you're like, I can't be alone. I can't be separated. I'm not a lone ranger. I love Jesus. And so I want to obey what he said. And I want to be with my brothers and sisters. Where are you at with that? Where are you at being around the family of God? Because it's a genuine question. And then thirdly, a litmus test for being in the family of God is living in a lifestyle of prayer and presence. Loving the prayer closet. Your flesh doesn't love it. I get that. Our flesh doesn't love purity, as Andy said earlier, but we're pursuing it. We're fighting for it. Nobody probably likes in their flesh to go give an hour to prayer or to fast and pray. But I'm telling you, as we pursue this together, there's so much blessing in it. And the Lord says, in the family of God, you give yourself to prayer. That's part of it. You know that you're, you're walking in step with the Spirit because of these three things. You want to obey, not looking for perfect people, just obedient people. You're actually looking for togetherness with the family of God. And you're looking for His presence manifest in the place of prayer that we give ourselves to on a regular basis. So Jesus says that my family, the family of God, trumps even Mother's Day. Give honor to where honor is due, but don't forget he's worth everything and even more than that. So <clears throat> I just want to sew this in today as a reminder that Jesus is always looking for first fruits. He's always coming back. He's not looking for the last. He's looking for our first, our best. And our first and best affection must be for him and everything flows after that. Everything gets put in line after we promote Jesus to the highest place. The one who will come back and he's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to rule with his scepter. That's the one we're going to be with for eternity. And on that day, we want to make sure nobody is 
equal to him in our hearts and for sure no one ahead of him in our hearts, but in all things he might have the preeminence. That's what we want for Jesus, yes? Jesus first, Jesus foremost. We wanna know him according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. So don't go home and text your biological family and say, we're not talking anymore. I love Jesus more than you. Don't do that. Love them, love them, love them. Adjust our thinking though. That's the only thing I would say. Adjust our thinking. Make sure Jesus is first and foremost. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Lord, I thank you for the good work you've done here today, Lord. I thank you, Father, for your word that goes forth, heals us. I thank you, Holy Spirit. Even in this weak presentation here, you can speak. And I pray that you would continue to speak even this week. Lord, I pray for uh, the heartbeat of our family here to be love and adoration of Jesus. I pray for our heartbeat here to be pure and simple devotion, not to an idea, even to principles, but to Jesus as the man. I pray, God, that you would open eyes, that we would see you in the spirit. I pray that any dullness be lifted off of us this week in Jesus' name, God. And I just pray for fiery affection for you above all, God. So Lord, we do pray a blessing over biological families this week. Lord, we pray first and foremost that they would be spiritual family first, biological second in terms of importance, that we would celebrate Jesus together in our homes on Mother's Day this day, Lord. I pray that we would be a people that give ourselves to prayer like never before. You've got to stir up our hearts to do it, God. Stir us up in a new way to pray, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your presence with us. Go with us, Lord. Protect us this week. We just ask in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Okay, bless you guys. We will see you next week. Happy Mother's Day.